maximize your influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to episode 83 of Maximize Your Influence. Steve Olson here along with Kurt Mortensen, who is ready to roll with another Persuasion IQ question, a great article about how to tell if people are lying to you. Who doesn't want to know that? And actually more listener mail. Kurt, what's up? How you been? Feeling good, liking the sunshine. I actually took my son camping this weekend and uh, I'm feeling a little rejuvenated. It's good stuff. You went camping? Wasn't it cold? <laughs> no, it was actually nice and warm and uh, went to the desert and... Enjoyed the sand and the sunshine and had some fun. I'm not normally a camper person, as you probably know. Yeah. I leaned over to my wife once when we were camping with the family, and I said, you know, I think we're hotel people. <laughs> <laughs> but every once in a while, it's good to go out, especially with the kids who want to spend time with you, right? It's good stuff. I love everything about camping except for not having my bed and not having <laughs> running water. If, if you could fix those things, I'm on board with it. It's pretty fun. Well, they've got new air mattresses that you fill up that are pretty close to your bed. So we can take care of that one. Running water, that's going to depend on where you go. Getting dirty, messy, smelly, smoky, you can't fix that. But that's part of camping. Nice, nice. Well, I went to Chicago to see the bears. No, I didn't see the bears. But you got to say that when you talk about Chicago. You do. So it was freezing cold in Chicago over the weekend. Colder than when I went? I was with, that's probably, what, a month later? I was... Single digit, it's, but it doesn't matter when the wind's up. Chicago's like San Francisco. You're just always cold. It was rough. We were going through vacant houses, and nothing is more cold than a vacant house, right? Pretty bitter cold. That's true, but that's, yeah. that wind kicks up back there. It's cold. And I think San Francisco's always cold because you never bring a jacket because you think it's California, but it's always cold. It is. Just go across the bay, and it's warm. But you go out on the peninsula in San Francisco, yeah, it gets cold in a hurry. Real fast. Yep. I read an article the other day that California is, like, out of water. You know? Yeah, yeah I think they have like nine, ten months left to figure it out. So, yeah, better start cooking, get that desalinization plant or something going. Something, but. yeah. They're using that's going to make the cost of produce and a lot of things go up for the rest of us. They crank out a lot of vegetables and fruits in California. So, they, they need to go ahead and figure that out. Yeah, real fast. I think most of the water is going to the produce and people are secondary, so that'll cause some problems too. It's Good luck, California. Yeah, I grew up in California and you know, you can't fill up your pool. Bad things happen. It's concerning that they go, oh, wow, in nine months we're out. I would hope there's better forecasting. More like, hey, in nine years we're going to be out of water. I guess this is just a, a big alarm that they're sounding recently, so... Yeah, I, you would think. I don't know if, and, and well, a lot of people are moving out, so they should be saving water. So I'm not sure what they're doing with their water supply and how they're figuring that out. Are they really sure what they're doing about anything over there, though? Yeah, probably not. Take that, California. There I think that's go. their first crack, isn't it? We'll put, uh, put them on the insult list. Yeah, yeah, too much happening with the government. They don't know what's happening, when, when, and how. <laughs> and your traffic stinks. But man, that weather. Oh, I love that. It weather. is nice. That's yeah. true. All right, all right. So Chicago weather stinks. California's good, but they don't have any water. Everybody got that? Everybody current? So we're going to go into the part of the show that you actually listen for and talk about something useful. And I mentioned in our little intro that Kurt has a, a geeky article moment. Cue up the Urkel. Urkel, go! <laughs> Steve Urkel lives on. He is the embodiment of geekiness, and Kurt begrudgingly has to push that button, and I enjoy making him do it. Mm-hmm. I think the word is deal with it. Anyway, yeah, deal with it. So the geeky article is 
body sign showing that someone is lying to you. This comes from Dr. Brink from University of California. And this is a powerful thing that you can learn, that you can really understand. And something interesting that came out, it shows that when we go by instinct, we're right around 54% of the time, which is not that good. Instinct can be a powerful thing when you really fine-tune it. But when they said when you really learn about it, about detecting deception and lying, that increases to 90% when you're really logically looking at it versus just following your instincts. So what do we do? Well, let me give you some of these. Now, one we've talked about before is that you're always looking for someone's standard normal behavior before you start going into a negotiation or any type of stressful emotional situation so you can see the changes. So we've talked about a few of these, but let me just kind of go through some that are really interesting. One is breathing, which is called a reflex action. Basically, watch their shoulders, watch them rise, listen to their voice. They'll become shallow and clear, cracked, because that tension changes that breathing pattern. Mm. Along with that, we're looking at their stature. Are they nervous and fidgeting? But here's one that we need to watch out too because we're looking for that change in behavior. You might notice that they're not moving at all. They're almost robotic or not even moving or statuesque, if we can use that word, because their body tenses itself for preparation for potential confrontation. So you might see that. Mm. And one, for those of you who have teenagers out there, repetitiveness some of them keep repeating the point. They're trying to convince you of it. They're trying to drill it into your mind. They're trying to almost reassure themselves that the lie could be considered true. <laughs> we see that a lot of mm-hmm. times, especially those without frontal lobes. Another one we see is overcompensating, providing too much information. You didn't ask about it, but they have this elaborate story that they're talking about trying to get you to believe it. One we have covered before is covering the mouth when they're reluctant to respond to a question or an issue. We know that there's shuffling of feet. That's kind of the body's way to get rid of nervous energy. And, of course, we have to talk about the famous fig leaf. <laughs> One you love the fig leaf. The fig leaf. And for those who don't know, that's when you kind of cross your arms when you're standing and talking and covering up your private areas. And that's what they talked about, that <laughs> a dishonest person may cover areas they consider vulnerable. And it could be the throat, the head, chest, abdomen, other parts we don't need to go into, that that's what some people do when they feel uncomfortable or they are being deceptive. And you'll also notice, the last one I'll bring up here is difficulty speaking. It's hard to speak under the pressure of a lie. The body's nervous system and the and it's almost like they get dry mouth because the salivary system quits flowing when people get nervous or they start to lie. In fact, I can't remember, it was the Middle East somewhere that if they thought you were lying, the test was to take a hot iron and put it on your tongue. <laughs> oh, nice. And if it burned you, you were lying because your mouth was dry. And if it didn't, you weren't lying. Now, I don't recommend to try that at it. home. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that's something that they used to do. So when you can really master deception with negotiation and persuasion, very powerful tool that'll make a huge difference. But be conscious about it. Follow your instinct, that's important. But being conscious and looking for these things will make a big difference in what you're able to do. The bottom line is that lying takes a lot of bandwidth, right? It takes Mm -hmm. a lot of energy. So these little habits and these little behaviors are going to start to come out that normally a person can regulate, but they can't when they're lying because it's using so much of their focus. It does. It takes a lot more bandwidth. You can see them thinking a lot more. And people that don't lie are playing offense, and people that do lie are playing defense. Two different things yeah. as far as how they are packaging what they are saying. Right, right. Okay, good. Great article. Way to go, Urkel. 
Hey, 10 points. Yep, yep. Yeah, you bank those points. Yeah, yeah add them there. up for me. Well, the listeners add them up, and if they're right, we'll give them a price. If you get enough points, you get a membership to University of Persuasion. There you go. Yeah. The gold, super platinum, doodah membership. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's really <laughs> nifty, if you can't tell by the name. <laughs> yeah, we're really good at naming things here. <laughs> we are, we are. <laughs> so... We want to continue giving you the cheat sheet for the Persuasion IQ questions and take it. Go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com, scroll to the bottom, Persuasion IQ, no catch. It's just going to tell you your score or tell you how awesome or how terrible you are, right? That's what people want to be told, how terrible they are. So we've got another question that's uh, on the cheat sheet for you. Kurt, are you ready? Ready. Feel it. Go for it. You're trying to convince a future client after multiple contacts to make a decision to do business with you. What technique will be the most persuasive? A, everyone has this product or service, social validation. B, what would happen if you didn't do it? Loss or scarcity. C, what he or his company gains. That's rewards and gain. D, he's doing the right thing for his family or society. That's esteem. And E, show the incredible value. That's contrast. So what do you think? Well, the key part of this question, of course, is after multiple contacts, because I'm assuming if you're still doing business together, there's always been the social validation and the contrast and the esteem. Then I'm going to go with B, what would happen if he didn't do it? That loss, that's a scarcity, because there's been multiple contacts. They know they need it. You've been talking. Everything else is in place. You're in the running. The only thing that's really going to make them decision at this point is going to be that psychological reactance, that scarcity, or that loss. Which we've talked about a lot on the show, but it's so, oh, it's the main offender on blunders and all these different things. You know, earlier in the show, it was one of the first episodes, I, I related a blunder where this was actually my dad got a call from a company that, they're, they're a resort, and they sell some timeshare memberships. And they called him to let him know that, hey, we are in a sold-out situation. Do you want a membership? And my dad, he loves this kind of crap. He just strung the guy along and... Basically ended the call with, if you're in a sold-out situation, why are you calling me? <laughs> right. Yeah, sold-out situation. That's good, good verbal packaging. And that's what most salespeople come up to me and ask you about is how to get people to call, how to create the scarcity, how to create the urgency. We hit it a lot, but it's one of those huge things that most of the people do it the wrong way. It's abused. It's overused. But if you don't create genuine scarcity... They're not going to call you back because if they think they're going to do it later, they're going to do it later. Well, they're not going to do it later, but yeah, that's the they point. They think they're going to do it later, right. but yeah, they, you're right. They won't do it later. That's interesting because we've all been on that side of the coin. We've been the prospect. We really do think we're going to do this later, don't we? We do. We have all good intentions, but the life gets busy, things happen, and we just follow the path of least resistance. And it was interesting you brought up California and the water supply. I grew up in Orange County and... They were having a drought, and one of the water mains busted. They didn't have a lot of water. And so uh, I think it was the mayor. Somebody came on and said, okay, hey, do it uh, for us. We don't want to do water restrictions. We don't want to do this and that. We're having some challenges. Please just conserve water so we don't have to put any restrictions in place. And guess what happened? <laughs> yeah, I can guess. Water consumption went through the roof. People are like, oh, restrictions? Well, they have to fill up their pool and water their lawns and save their water and do this and that. So what the mayor was attempting to do had the opposite results because we just can't handle it. If there's not enough to go around, if I can't get mine, uh, i.e. Black Friday, people go nuts, strange things happen, and things get out of control. And we've talked a lot about how do we recreate that kind of an atmosphere. And this is, uh, you know, this is kind of an art. 
because the principle holds. It doesn't matter if you're selling a very complex product to a huge company that's going to make the decision based on committee after going through bids and things like that, right? Or if it's something as simple as some kind of cheesy product at a mall kiosk, right? Mm-hmm. The principle of scarcity still holds, does it not? Or, or are people too educated for scarcity? No, it still holds. We have to have put a formula in place. And, and our listeners have to realize it's not just about the product. It could be a scarcity of someone's time, a scarcity of information, scarcity of price, scarcity of knowledge. It's not just always the price or have to do it today. It We need it. We're programmed that way. I mean, they took toddlers and they put them in a room with 20 toys and they say, here they go, just don't play with that one. So they could play with 19, don't play with that one. They even put it up behind plexiglass and made it harder to get to it. And of course, they approach that three times faster. We're, we're programmed that way. So I guess probably the easiest thing we do, the thing we should do, is talk about a formula so it's real. Because when it's fake and insincere, it backfires every time. But when it's believable, and we know there's only two iPhones left, we know there's only one DVD player at $5.95, we know that if we come back, it won't be there. Wow then action starts to happen. What do you do then? I mean, what if legitimately your company has and is willing to sell as much of the widget as it can possibly produce? How would we, how would we do a system that's going to create an illusion? I don't, maybe it's not an illusion. That's the word I want, but some kind of a circumstance where a prospect would believe otherwise. It could be a different package. It could be price could be going up next month. It could be a variety of things that, you create that urgency. The quote's only good for two weeks because we're dealing with vendors that often raise their prices. And, and that's the first rule is it has to be legitimate. It's got to be real. And we always tell the truth. So make sure it's legitimate and believable. Now, a lot of times we tell the truth it's not believable, but it has to be legitimate, something that's going to actually happen and believable. And it needs to be something that's immediate to them in their mind. And those things really help your ability to do that and it makes a big difference. In fact, some great examples that we can talk about, clubs with exclusive memberships. You have to interview with them for them to accept you and for you to give them money. Our favorite, I think we've talked about before, those Disney Vault, right? That's going to go back in the Disney Vault, and it does. Airlines that only hold your seat for 24 hours, or there's three seats left at that price, special invitation-only sales, going out of business sales, offer not available in stores, one-time offers, those are really helpful as long as they're legitimate and believable. It makes a big difference. But you have to explain to your prospect why there's that scarcity. Otherwise, they're just going to say, oh, whatever, I'll come back later. It's not going to matter. I'll get the same deal. When that happens, it's backfired on you. I think it's important in order to make this somewhat you know, legitimate is we have to have these ancillary products or these add-ons that we can, that we can sell as a part of the product because then you can take the position of, Hey, look, if you can do it by this time, then the the company is willing to throw in X, Y, and Z. And you told me once that when you're selling like that, Steve, you have to make the bonuses seem almost more valuable than the core product. That's what creates the buying frenzy and gets people to do those things. The only issue is, is you really do have to stick to it. Right. And that's what we, we always go back to these timeshare people and the infomercial people. They're so good at this, right? If you go to a timeshare presentation, yeah, you can buy the timeshare at any time. But are you going to get the four free weeks in mm-hmm. Thailand and the movie tickets and the Best Buy card and the two weeks in Italy? All that come along with it where you're going, 
if I just paid for that retail, I'd be paying more than this whole timeshare package. That's It's so cheeseball, we like to make fun of it. But that is probably the best example I can think of that, that illustrates the psychological principle here of making the bonuses, of making acting today seem so valuable that it's almost more valuable than the actual product. Yeah, bonus is a big part of that. And I always encourage with scarcity, buffer it with some type of reward, some type of bonus, and it makes it a lot more legitimate and a lot more people will act. So yeah, it's true. The sale does, does end today because of this. And this We only do a two-week special every year, and it ends today. And you know what? When you can make a decision today, I can give you an extra 2,000 minutes. I can give you an extra warranty. I can give you the long list of bonuses that you mentioned to where, wow, not only it does end today, and I know why, and that's believable, it's legitimate, but I also get these rewards, these bonuses for that has a value of $500 for making that decision. That alone will really change your ability to create that urgency, that reactive. Now, you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, we asked the question, you're trying to convince a future client after multiple contacts to make a decision to do business with you. What's going to be the most persuasive? And we had social validation, loss slash scarcity, which is the correct answer and what we're talking about, rewards and gain, esteem and contrast. And you made the interesting comment that the question assumes that you've already done all those other things. So of course, loss and scarcity is a lot more effective and a lot more legitimate if you already have the social validation, the rewards, gain, esteem, and contrast. I mean, this is a whole package. You can't go at the prospect with just the scarcity. The groundwork has to be laid in order for it to be effective. Exactly. When you look at creating scarcity or even offering a guarantee or a warranty, you never lead with those type of things. You never talk about guarantees or the sale and today until you know you've built in the what's in it for me that there's been social validation or trust has been created, that they see the value that you've established that relationship. Then when they're sitting on the fence, you can create the scarcity. When they're sitting on the fence, you could talk about the guarantees. That's why this is kind of one of the last tools you use just to kind of nudge them over the fence because in their mind, it's a great deal. But the human brain, if we can wait, if we can put it off, if we can delay, we will. You're helping them. And I'm telling you, scarcity helps people. Otherwise, you're going to waste a lot more time going around in circles. It helps to make the right decision. And I would say 99 times out of 100, they are glad that you helped to make that decision to get in the right product at the right time. It's necessary or nobody would ever do anything, right? It is a necessary uh, component of the persuasion process. My wife and I are going on our 10-year anniversary in June. We're going to Puerto Rico, all right? And it's funny. Whenever we go to book some kind of a big trip, there's a catalyst that makes us actually do it. We, we start looking around. Oh, that's a really good deal over here. Or that's kind of cool. We've never been over there. Ooh, look at that price we can do it for. That's pretty good. And then life swoops in and takes over. And a week passes by and we think of it again and we sit down and guess what? It's gone up, <laughs> right? It's got up since we looked. Oh, crap, we better hurry and do this. And that's what makes us do it when we feel the impact of the legitimate scarcity. And that's what it takes because you, you won't know you want to go and you have all these options, all these opinions, all these different places. You need someone to prove to you this is the best spot. This is going to have the best food. This is, has the funnest people. Here's the offer today. Uh-oh, it's only good for another two hours. You need to make a decision. It's driving you nuts. You want to make a decision. You want to cross that off your list. So here it is. Best place right now. It's good for another day, whatever the scarcity is. And, of course, with the reward, we'll upgrade you into a bigger suite. Done deal. And you're happy you finally made the decision. Yep. 
Yep, there you go. So we've beat that question like a, a dead horse, right? We have to because that's the big one people always ask. Well, what about this? How do we do this? This is the one because when they're sitting on the fence, you got to have something to push them over. You do this will make a big difference, and every persuader needs to work on this. Yeah, there's a couple of things that really move the needle for most persuaders when they finally, of course, become aware that, wow, how I'm presenting my product might not be the most effective. I could actually change the words I say and how I say them and make more money, right? Scarcity is one of those top two or three things that if they can use it, wow, the, the results really jump up quickly. And that's where I typically start with clients I work with is we got to tune up your scarcity because that's what's going to make the biggest difference the fastest. That's exactly right. And and when you really focus on it and make it legitimate and believable, man, and add a little reward, some bonuses to that, it'll make a big difference with what you're able to sell yep. and your ability to persuade there and your you ability go. to negotiate. How about that? You got to do that too. Got to do that too. You ready for some more listener mail? Ooh, yeah. Bring it on. Yeah, we got some more. I, I guess everybody is behaving themselves on the Homer front and nobody's doing a great job on the Ninja front because we haven't had one for two weeks now, but... We will definitely have a ninja or a homer on next week's show, but this is from uh, one of our listeners, from David. David writes in, he says, Hey guys, just want to let you know how much I enjoy your podcast. I've been listening to it for nearly a year now and love the chemistry you two have together. Do we have chemistry? Uh, yeah, I think it's bad chemistry, but anyway, it's, there's some chemistry there. It's, it's making it weird now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the topics you have are excellent, and it's not like many other podcasts I listen to, overdriven by the services you all have for purchase. The regular references of University of Persuasion are not so often that drives me crazy. By the way, go to universitypersuasion.com. Okay. Yes, do. Yeah. <laughs> or wants me to turn things off. It's obvious you're experts in the field, one of which I'm working to get better too. I do have a question for you. And uh, while it's about persuasion, it's not actually selling a product. However, when is it, right? Exactly. I'm about to begin my own interview-based podcast dealing with fatherhood and leadership. I've heard a lot of people talk about the dismal conversion rates in regards to email replies when contacting potential guests. I'm curious what you would think would be the best things to do to help improve the persuasion rate when trying to convince them to reply to an email or being a guest on the show. Thanks again. Look forward to the next episode. Keep offending the audiences and providing us with homers and ninjas. No problem there, David. Thanks for writing into the show. We'll take care of that one. Yeah, yeah, that's easy. That's a great question. You bet. Yeah. What do you think? Well, I've done thousands of these, so I guess I can be an expert in this arena. What is that decision? Because you get offers for podcasts or interviews or magazine articles or radio shows, and you want to do as many as possible for marketing. And sometimes there's a time issue. Sometimes maybe uh, they've been around long enough. Is it a size issue? Is this just a little radio station? So first thing, you got to get into the mind of the person that you're trying to talk to and let them know that this is in their best interest. It all comes back to the what's in it for them. It's going to help promote them. You'll post it on your website, which will help promote their website. There'll be some type of link. You're going to email it to your list. It's going to help that speaker become more exposed to get more hits on the website, sell more books you got to get in their shoes. Is it going to be worth their time? So that's the first thing you have to do. The second thing is the social validation. One of the things I notice when I get these replies is they'll list some of the famous people who have done the podcast. I'm like, oh, I know him. I know her. I know him. I know her. That social validation, because if they can do it, I can do it. I mean, those are two huge factors as you get going is the what's in it for me. I'm going to send it to my email list. I'm going to do this, this, and this. I'm going to have a link. You'll be able to use it for marketing purposes. You can send it out to your list. It's very, very helpful. You'll have more exposure. The social validation of who's listening and who's doing it, 
those are big, big things that people are looking for when you are attempting to get them onto your podcast or interview or anything that you're doing of that nature. Good call. And, and I would add to that, David, be persistent and pick up the phone, right? It's, uh, I've got so many emails in my inbox today, 99% of them, I'll never look at it again. I don't have the time to, it didn't jump out. But if I keep getting it or if somebody calls me, right? So a lot of times it's not enough to just email. You got to call, right? You got to stand out from all the other noise that's in their life. So, and don't be afraid to do it over and over again. It might take you a while to book a guest that you're really getting after. So, you know, you're, the question is about, you know, it's about persuasion. This is, you're persuading people to come on your show. You know, when isn't something about persuasion? So we hope that helps and that uh, you continue to listen and we'll, we'll offend some people for you and we appreciate you writing in. Thanks a lot, David. Thank you for your email. In fact, I'll even volunteer. You want me on your show? I'll be happy to do it. There you go. Yeah. Maximize your influence at Gmail. You know where to find us. Uh, email us back and uh, we can talk about that. So, Kurt, it's time to hang it up for the week. Anything you want to finish off with? Yes. Remember, even though we've hammered scarcity, urgency, the psychological reactants, this is what pushes people off the fence. But again, important safety tip. We don't lead with scarcity. It's after you've proven yourself, you have the trust, you have the connection, they see a need for your product or service, you've established that gap where they are versus where they need to be, then suddenly you go down that road, offer a little scarcity, a little urgency, a few bonuses, it's legitimate, it's believable, you'll be amazed what that does to your pocketbook. Awesome. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. This has been another episode of Maximize Your Influence. We'll catch you next week on another one. Have a great week. See you next week. 